0: to Board Gamers Anonymous, a podcast about gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Anthony. Hey, this is Chris. And this is Daniel. Welcome to the episode, everybody. This is episode 27. Drew could not make it this week. He is gaming, as we all should be. Um, But this week, we're going to be talking about a lot of big things, a lot of big news. um, And we actually got a lot of games to the table and the tablets, I should add. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, first up some really really big news. Uh this is actually very exciting for all of us. This is something we've been working on for a little while. Um when we started this podcast, this was one of the things we talked about that we thought would just be totally cool, like legitimize the whole thing. Um did not think that would happen necessarily 9 months ago,
1: but it has how happened. We are now proud members of the Dice Tower Network, which assuming that you probably found us through the Dice Tower Network you probably knew already, but we're very excited about this
0: (laughs) (laughs) if you're one of our 400 or so listeners who did not find us through the Dice Tower Network we are now on the Dice Tower Network Um, and if you don't know what that is, it's just this awesome conglomerate of podcasts, video reviews, and uh, other media kind of all run by the godfather of gaming reviews himself Tom Vassell and uh, we're really happy about this. It's really cool. So it's it's exciting. Thank you, Tom, for having us on. Um, really looking forward to just
2: continuing to put out awesome content and uh, be part of this community. Yeah, I remember way back when, when I started to get involved in uh, hobby gaming. And the first thing is you look at these enormous games, you're like, how am I going to figure out how to play these things? Wow, this is a great game. What do I do? What, what plays with this? You know, what's the next step with this? And any type of search whatsoever, you find the Dice Tower, because Tom Vassell just puts out an enormous amount of content, covers pretty much everything, and really high quality reviews. He really loves the game, he's really involved in the community, and does it from a
1: very kind of person-to-person type of interaction. Yeah, This is really a big deal, and for those of you who have been listening to us already, this means we've gone mainstream. So. Either you, you know, have to stop listening to us and start complaining to your friends about how you liked us back before we got cool, <laughs> or you can acknowledge that it's it's a board gaming review show and it's it, we're still not cool. <laughs> I was
0: about to interject, but you yeah. did
1: it
2: for me. <laughs> hey, board games are cool, right? No? Yes?
1: To All everybody
0: right. in this room. Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, of, of the people what? surveyed in the sample size... <laughs> 100 say it is cool i agree and uh so we want to thank tom again and um rob serling and, and uh, jeff engelstein so if you go to the dice tower network and you scroll all the way to the bottom you will find our logo and our rss feed so you can kind of hook on to us and check out all the other great podcasts there and we're hoping to bring you more content as time goes on and hoping to get to see you all at The upcoming conventions so definitely listen promote rate us on itunes and just get the word out there because this little little podcast that we've been doing is kind of growing the anonymous is becoming known (laughs) which is ironic and
0: yes we know it's ironic you don't need to point out how (laughs) ironic it is sure you do it's kind of funny (laughs) (laughs) all right so thanks again everybody this is awesome and it's you know it's because of listeners like you on slightly less exciting news, actually very sad news, and um, we posted this on our Facebook feed, and if you're on Staten Island or near Staten Island, you probably saw it on Facebook, or hopefully this wasn't the case, but maybe you even drove by and saw, um, our local, friendly local gaming store, Myriad Games, closed down just a couple weeks ago. Um, and it was it was a sad time for all of us, because it's, it's where we all met, um, it's where I got into board games, it's where I met a lot of really fantastic people, and,
2: um, you know, the story we missed. I know when I started with the Staten Island Board Gamers as part of the meetup, um, Sherry does a great meetup job, and I remember meeting people, just a small group of people, and then there was talk about a local board gaming store opening here on Staten Island, which was a tremendous development, and I remember we walked in the first time and said, it's a store full of just board games, just hobby board games, and if honestly if you've ever been to any other kind of gaming store it's usually like 90% magic or 90% miniatures or it's 90% kind of kids toys and maybe a couple of hobby games kind of thrown in there but here was a store with great hobby games and our little community of just maybe a dozen or so people kind of exponentially grew and uh, met a lot of great people had a lot of great times that was also the place where we did a lot of recordings for the podcast we did our extra life event of 25 hours to support the store and support um children in need and it was really a nice opportunity to really connect with people in a meaningful way and it's definitely going to be missed
1: yeah. it, it was a warm and welcoming environment it's again is where we all met it's I went to lurk there once while the meetup was going on, pretending I didn't know it was going on. And I think, Chris, I think you were the one who invited me into play, actually. Sure. And uh, it was a great environment to spend some time with some great people, and it's really going to be missed.
2: And I think that's one of the things, too, that most people outside the hobby, like we were just talking about the Dice Tower Network, is it is really such a strong community, a strong family, and you really do get to know people very quickly by playing games with them. You know their character def- definitely comes out in that in those moments. I started off as just a regular meetup member, moved to an event organizer, then moved up to assistant organizer, and really just loved the opportunity to hey, that guy back there with the curly hair who doesn't believe he knows what's going on. Let's let's grab him to play some games. So it was a nice opportunity, and it'll be missed. And uh, so thank all of you who um, had part of that to make that kind of community grow and that store, so thanks all
0: absolutely alright, let's move on from sad news and start talking about well I guess equally sad news the games that are going to be draining our wallets very soon (laughs) acquisition disorder All alright, so what kind of games have you guys been looking at that uh, you absolutely must have or play
1: uh, honestly, for me, other than a uh, few Kickstarters which are in the ether still, uh, most of my money has been going to sleeving my old games that's cost a surprisingly large amount of money when one of them is legendary. So uh, I, I've had to put a little temporary pause on my buying to make sure I maintain the quality of my current collection.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh... That's one of the things that I don't think anybody realizes when they get into this hobby is how much it's going to cost to keep take care of your stuff. Like, sleeves, yes. Um, storage solutions. Storage solutions. Mm-hmm. Paints, if you paint them. Bags. Which I do. Bags. Uh, boxes for cards.
1: My attack wing stuff isn't a shoe box. <laughs> I need to fix that.
0: Yeah. I actually have this pretty cool box I bought at a Home Depot. Show it to you.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I need to take a look at those actually, see yeah. how well they fit. It's not the
0: one everybody recommends, but it works just fine. It was like five dollars.
1: Okay, perfect.
0: Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I have actual games that I've been looking at uh, now. Actual games. Actual that I've been looking at, games. Uh, but I, I mean, I can't <laughs> buy them, so it doesn't actually matter, does it?
1: I got three, three promo cards for a game I have never heard of what? in my Dragon Shield sleeves. So. <laughs> there you go there we go I've been slowly acquiring a collection of this game
0: (laughs) (laughs) you're gonna get to like 10 and then want it more than anything
1: (laughs) right exactly it's the strategy right they're gonna get you Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, speaking of cards where are the dice
2: masters come
0: on Kids.
2: man I need a hit come on give me some dice gotta roll some dice what are the dice coming in Anthony man you got some dice (laughs) do you know where I can get some dice (laughs) I heard you got some dice. <sighs> They're nowhere, man. They're nowhere.
0: There's still no. There's still no starter kits anywhere. Uh, I was just at the Complete Strategist the other day, and they had more boosters, but still no starters. And they could put my name on a waiting list, which I never want to do,
2: which I should. But I don't know when these things are coming out. But and to be honest, like I'm not so s- sold on the game yet, but the insanity that have surrounded this game as far as trying to find a copy of the base set i've never seen anything like it in recent you know hobby history you just hear people going i spoke i went to this this target and they said they may get a shipment in and we got to stand outside and then well wait and then you know if they don't have it we can talk to somebody else because he has a brother's sister who says that that store might get a copy and if we get sent a copy that it's just been outrageous as far as the desire for these games. I mean, obviously, this has a lot to do with the IP. The um, Avengers is such a huge movie, such a huge property. X Men obviously are, is huge, and the new movie's coming out. And you know, if you've ever played Warriors before, the game has a really kind of simple introduction and appeal. And once again, like we said before, a buck a booster. It's kind of hard to beat that. You get two dice and you get two cards, and it has that tournament feel. It has that CCG kind of intensity to it as far as you know hoping that you're going to pull a rare at some point so there's a lot of talk about this WizKids did release another statement talking about the upcoming shipments that the desire is so great for this now which is crazy that they're actually instead of having these things shipped out they're being flown to the US and will be dropped off in the west coast and the midwest so those areas of the country will see the game first and then eventually I think they'll get across to the east coast but reports of this game are few and far between and even podcasts such as ours and many others are still kind of, I guess chomping at the bit (laughs) (laughs) so this game might be eventually hitting someone's table at some point, So I'm gonna get it (laughs) (laughs) I'm just not paying more than retail for it. No. And the other thing, too, with the game is, if you really are that interested in picking this up, you can go on the WizKids website and download some of the cards. So you can actually kind of do a print-and-play kind of version of it. Now, obviously, it's not going to have the dice, and they're just basically giving you the action cards. But if you've picked up some promos, and I'm sorry, if you picked up some booster packs and you've downloaded the basic cards and the sheets and things like that, you can, I guess, get somewhat of a feel, but once again, it's still lacking the actual game. Yeah. So, probably in the next episode, this will be
0: Acquisition Disorder again. Maybe by the next episode. So, let's say mid-June,
2: maybe we'll be reviewing this? We'll see. (laughs) Well, they said that the base sets are coming out, probably be here in June, and then the boost another reprint of the boosters or another wave of the boosters will be coming out in july and it's interesting though because there's such a desire for this but at some point it's just going to drop off and i'm wondering what's going on in wizkid's headquarters because is this kind of thing where they're cheering or are they panicking as far as we're going to lose
1: the market at some point yeah i do wonder that if they have these long delays especially at the beginning right 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 at the launch of the game Buzz might die down before the product actually hits the market. I mean, right now, all the buzz is good, but if it just becomes a thing people don't even bother talking about anymore, that's going to be a serious problem. Well, the media is talking about it. Well, that's us. Oh God, <laughs> where are the media now? We're in a
0: network. <laughs> Alright, some other hot games coming out. Um, well, I don't know if they're hot or not, I just, I want them. So, uh, there are actually two games, kind of based around this whole uh, Seven Samurai, Kuro Kurosawa mythos. Um, the first, Seven Swords, uh, was a Kickstarter game, Game Salute. And that one wrapped up, I want to say, two weeks ago, so end of April. And they say they're shipping in June, so it should be out pretty soon. But it, that one looks pretty cool, it's you know someone plays the village the the village side which is samurai someone plays the bandits one-on-one kind of combat trying to protect the village if you know the story of the seven samurai it's this village gets harassed by uh, bandits goes out and hires seven samurai to protect them and the seven samurai do everything they possibly can to do so um eventually successfully defeating the bandits but in the game who knows could be either way uh Samurai Spirit, the other upcoming samurai game, this one from Antoine Bowza and Funforge, that one is a co-op, plays two to seven players, and everybody's a samurai. So, nobody has to play the bandits in that particular game. Um, Same theme,
2: seems like very different mechanics. Of course you want to play the samurai. Who wants to play the bandits? It's... Come on, samurais, come on. It's cool. Yeah, I am a little more interested
0: in the, uh, the Bowser game, just because, A, it's two to seven players... I don't need another two-player game.
2: It's Anton Bowser. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. It is Funforged, though, so who knows what they'll do to the dice. <laughs> well, I still have my fingers crossed about uh, Tokaido, so let's hope good stuff will be coming.
0: <laughs> but, um, but it looks pretty cool, so I'm going to probably be playing both at some point over the summer because I love, 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 love this movie. I love Kurosawa. I love everything about it. Even when it's bad, I still love it. So I'm sure it'll be.
1: Did Kurosawa ever do anything bad?
0: No. Well, I'm not um, talking about him. I'm oh, okay. Based like,
1: what? <laughs> what are you saying? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Making it uh, a Seven Samurai-themed game where you play as the bandits. It kind of reminds me of those RPGs made, like, the Buffy RPG. We're like, oh, yeah, no, someone wants to be anything but the Slayer in the game titled Buffy Vampire Slayer no no please let me play as random high school student number three
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah that one's a little tough but we'll see how it plays I mean I'm gonna try them out we'll see how they play but they're definitely both on my radar big time
2: and this is a great idea too because this is kind of an untapped great story that obviously has been as you said recast reimagined multiple times why not a board game at this point
0: yeah yeah and I would love to see the, uh, the western version too Magnificent Seven sure so that'd be cool. Oh, yeah, Which could be the exact same game, but... Uh,
2: they, I'd like to see they, the uh,
0: the anime version, Samurai 7. Oh, yeah. Like, crazy cool. weird steampunk. Oh, so yeah. good.
2: So very good. <laughs> Anything else, guys? Well, I was wondering about the uh, upcoming Ticket to Ride, the massive kind of collector's anniversary edition. Is anybody looking at that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> is that a game you would like? Yes.
0: Just a little bit? Yeah, just a little bit. I mean, this is... um. None of us actually own Ticket to Ride, which is ridiculous because... How did that happen? I don't know. This is like one of those staples that... You know
2: what I think it is? I think it's the iPhone and the iPad version is just so phenomenal that you forget about the board game, which is a little bit of a problem because the board game is great. It's nice to play with the trains and have everything out there. We got to play that at PAX East, but yeah, how does none of us own that game? And actually, I think as far as just the group, we were talking about the store... I think there was only one of us who actually even owned Ticket to Ride into multiple copies. Yeah. Yeah, and he had literally every map for it. But the, he was, I think he may have been the only one at least that had it, you know, brought it around. Yeah. I mean, it tends to be one of those types of games where once you you start just, start getting into the hobby like it's a nice starter kind of entry gateway kind of game so you play Catan, you play Ticket to Ride, you play Carcassonne and then you kind of move on and you forget about it but that's really a nice game especially it plays with such a wide range of people.
0: Yeah, I love it a lot. I've played two tournaments now. And I remember <laughs> when Merit when they were going to have the first tournament, we spent like 2 weeks saying, this is not a tournament game. And then after the tournament, I was like, that it was an amazing tournament game. Yeah, it was boy, boy. one
2: of the better tournaments they had. So. Because you get really tight scores at the end and then you don't know what people have as far as their their tickets that they score so their route tickets so I don't know if you've scored all five or if you just scored one and so you're going to lose a lot of points and then who has the longest track or who has the most tickets depending on what version you play so yeah that was probably one of the best tournament games that we played
0: yeah I think so
1: I have only played it on the iPad
2: Oh, but the (laughs) talk a little bit Anthony talk a little bit about the, the anniversary edition what does that come with?
1: Uh, okay, so
0: Anniversary Edition is basically everything Ticket to Ride done better. So bigger map, new art, uh, individualized trains for each character. So it's, it's actually colorblind friendly now, which is kind of cool. Um, you get the full-size cards. You get the 1910 expansion. Finally. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, if you buy the base game, and this is something anybody who's ever bought this game knows, um, it comes with these tiny, ridiculous super small cards and as you play the game you might have 10 15 20 cards in your hand and they're the size of your thumb so the 1910 expansion gives you full-size cards so most people consider it a necessity to buy that with the base game otherwise it's a pain to play so them throwing that in here is kind of a no-brainer but they if they hadn't it would I mean, it's been 10 years and people are still getting those tiny cards, so I guess nobody would be surprised. Um, but it looks really good. I mean, this really beautiful, finely polished version of the game, kind of the ultimate version, so to speak. So if you don't own it, it, it may very well be, like, the perfect version to buy. If you do own it, I guess it depends on how often you play.
2: Um, and Days of Wonder does such a great job on their components. Every game that they've ever produced, I've just kind of, like, been in awe. And this anniversary edition, like Anthony was saying, they actually have, instead of just having these little plastic generic moles of a certain color, they actually have individual, so I think there's, what were what we looking at? Four different, five different? Five different types of trains, yeah. So five different types of trains. So you have like the circus train, and they're all red, and they all have like the little animal heads kind of popping out, or, the, or black, so they're all coal trains, and they're really nice little kind of plastic sculpts. I mean, it's almost toy quality and you get this little tin that fits all the the, the trains in, plus the tin itself is nicely decorated, and the, and the board is bigger, which is nice, because when you're playing Ticket to Ride, it's always a little bit odd to kind of be like, let me look all the way over there to see if I can kind of make that route. So it's really a nice addition. People have been talking about this. It hasn't been released yet, but um, I know it's something Anthony has been on, has, has it on the radar for quite some time, and it's something you should definitely check out. Yeah, I should have pre-ordered
0: it, and then I didn't, and now I probably can't get it.
2: (laughs) That is like the saddest story, man. (laughs) That's the story of every game on this acquisition disorderly. Oh, Dice
0: Masters, that would have been good. I should have pre-ordered that. Well, I didn't. Now I can't have it. Oh,
2: Oh, man. Um, You should listen to our podcast. I know,
0: right? We were talking about this five months ago. I I should have pre-ordered
2: it. (laughs) You only podcast, edit it, and post it, but Uh... you don't listen to it that much. (laughs)
0: Oh man! So uh, in about a month, if I can't find a copy, that'll be the new Dice Masters. <laughs>
2: there is well, no escape. Yes. Speaking about things we should be picking up early, let's talk about some games we want to kind of kick the habit a little bit. Kicking the
0: habit. <laughs> So we talk about Kickstarter all the time, and uh, obviously it's a big part of the hobby now. It's kind of here to stay. It's not a fad. Uh, so we want to kind of throw in a new segment here where we talk about some of the games that are upcoming, some of the ones we've already talked about and how they're doing, and then um, every now and then a preview of something we've played or seen coming up. So this is our inaugural edition of Kicking the Habit. Chris, what is on the docket?
2: Well, we've been talking about Kickstarter since the very beginning and about different games that have been popping up, stuff that we would love to have, stuff that scares us because of the multiple levels and how if it, if you just, you know, put a little more money and you'll get the extra cards and then you'll get the extra tokens and if you get that, then you have to go to another level and then next thing you know, you're at $1,500 because clearly you need to have all of the Crossmaster figures because, you know, it was only $5 more for the extra level. So trying to get into what's going on there. And obviously Kickstarter, Indiegogo, and a lot of these crowdfunding sites have been so popular and so beneficial for the industry. But there tends to be a little bit of the dark side to this too that doesn't often get talked about. So the first game I want to talk about that was hitting Kickstarter a little bit was First and Goal. Now, if you're familiar, we've talked about this a little bit before. First and Goal is a football-themed game where you're rolling kind of handfuls of dice... You get a team, the team has uh, passing dice, running dice and defensive dice and depending on the team it's a little bit asymmetrical because some teams have a great offense, some teams have a great defense and they kind of play integral as far as the game is concerned. So r Games decided they want to do a digital version of this and put this out on Kickstarter and the fans rushed in and then rushed completely out. So they were looking for about twenty five thousand dollars to kickstart a digital version. It was going to be like an iPad game, but it was also going to be in other different platforms. And they made five thousand dollars, and it failed, and it failed epically. Um, one of the big problems with it that they didn't have a demo version, at least something to show the fans of what it was going to look like. So they did. They had some pictures but they didn't have anything that anyone could play. And honestly, if you've played this game before, what's really great about this game is the handful of dice that you're throwing each and every time. So to have a game that's on the iPad where you're not having those dice and you're not having like the kind of magnetic board and the nice little components with it, I think was kind of a letdown for most people. And the fact that they weren't really upgrading the graphics or putting NFL teams or adding something more of a flavor to it kind of dropped the bottom out. So r has been talking about actually um, releasing this on Steam. So if you're a PC gamer, you might actually have a chance to help them on the Steam platform because if you go to Steam right now, they have this kind of little survey about would you pay for this game on Steam. Now as we know, Steam has been a great platform for indie games everywhere and hopefully this gets picked up because First and Goal is such a great game. But they're going to need to do something a little bit more in order to capture people's attention, especially in a world full of color, colorful miniatures and great artwork. Yeah, that's the funny thing about Kickstarters.
0: I think if you come in half-baked without like a clear idea of what people um, want to see, then it makes it a little harder. I know like when I backed Canterbury, um, it, it got over the line, but I like, think just barely. Like I backed it early because I'd played it, but a lot of people... We're concerned because he put it up there and there weren't a lot of videos and there weren't a lot of previews and there weren't a lot of stretch goals. Um, You really have to think out your Kickstarter. You might have the most amazing product in the world, but if you can't show people that, then
2: it's going to crash and burn. And you have to have some reviews from like independent podcasters, but also you need to have, you know, show the gameplay. I mean, we had the, uh, Anthony and I had the opportunity to actually sit down and play with the creator, Andrew Parks and see how great the game was, but for those people on Kickstarter, they only had this kind of sparse graphical representation of what things were gonna look like, and that really does hurt the game industry a little bit because you don't know what you're backing, and if you do get something that's not quality, you're gonna be a little hesitant to back the next project. So speaking about failures as far as Kickstarter is concerned, there was a Kickstarter recently for Asylum Playing Cards. This was kind of a nice, decorative, High quality set of your standard fifty-two playing cards with high quality artwork. You see this a lot on Kickstarter. A lot of different versions and artworks of your standard fifty-two, so you can play all types of games. Now, what happened here was the Kickstarter actually funded, and that was great. And they reached their goals. In fact, they actually did quite quite well, and they went above what they were looking for. They were looking for fifteen thousand, and they raised over twenty-five thousand for the game. So. Kickstarter went well, people backed it, it funded, above and beyond, all's good. And then the creator disappeared, and no one received their game. So here were these packs of cards that were supposed to go out to the backers, and nothing was happening whatsoever. So actually right now, um, Washington State's Attorney General filed a lawsuit on behalf of the backers to sue the creator... I think I had $2,000 or so for each individual backer to try to receive compensation for this failed Kickstarter. Now, a lot of people have been talking about this possible eventuality of Kickstarter failing because it's been doing so well and the concern is always what happens if it doesn't? What happens if it does crash? And we do have a situation where the designer is nowhere to be found and all these people put their money in and no one can get the deck of cards now thankfully it's a small amount although to the backers I'm sure that's not a happy at all to have lost that money but Kickstarter is saying two things one they're saying hey the backers are responsible because you know when you back something you take the responsibility as far as if the game or the product does not happen you're kinda out of luck there's nothing they can do about that personally but also at the same time, if you're putting up a project there, you are signing a commit with Kickstarter to actually produce this project. So this game, this this deck of cards not being produced is actually looking bad for everybody. So it's
1: really a bad situation. Their ability to keep the creator... Uh, uh to the terms of their contract is really going to be a significant factor in determining how stable Kickstarter will end up being in the long term, right? If they're not able to enforce that contract uh, successfully, and if they're not able to either get compensation for the backers or get the product made as was initially agreed, this could be a serious problem for Kickstarter's credibility. We talked about this a little
2: while ago, the doom that came to Atlantic City that Cryptozoic picked up and kind of saved the day you know this is always a possibility and sometimes especially with these smaller independent you know self publishing projects you really want to help these you know dreamers these creators who are going to create this great, great project and just need a little support you really feel that dedication that commitment and that connection and at the same time there is that failure and it's probably not the first failure that we've seen but this is i think the first lawsuit that we've seen at this level
0: yeah and it's a tough one cuz uh, you know, Kickstarter plasters it everywhere. It's on every project on there. This is an investment. You're not buying a product. You're investing in, basically, in a company, and your return, if the investment pays off, is the product. So it's kind of a tricky, you know, the way it works, but, um, you know, if the courts decide to redefine how that's interpreted, it could change some things. I don't think that means the end of Kickstarter by any means. It just means, you know, new rules being put in place, basically, but... To that end, you know, if you are a backer, even if this lawsuit, you know, fails completely, um, it is kind of your responsibility. So you know, take some time, do your research. Don't throw a ton of your own money at somebody if you, if they don't have a product to show, they've never posted a project before, and you have no idea or way of knowing if they're ever going to deliver. Um, you know, I feel comfortable backing a game by somebody I've met in person and I've played the game and or, uh, you know, a company like FunForge and Antoine Bauza. Whether or not it's exactly what I want when it shows up in the mail, I don't know, but I know I'm going to get it. Whereas some random guy who I've never heard of and it's custom playing
1: cards, probably should take that with a grain of salt. Yeah, I mean, I worry that the buyer beware attitude is kind of cuts against this most significant contribution of Kickstarter, which is this ability to allow independent creators... Who would otherwise not have the support structure required to become creators, right, to produce their content. And uh, if we have to worry about these individual creators as being fundamentally unstable, and if we're not, uh, if we don't have access to at least legal recourse to get something as the con, you know, those are sort of the conditions of our investment, right, uh, that compromises a lot of the value of Kickstarter to me.
2: It's definitely a challenge because, like I said, it's the independent game designers that you do really want to support. I mean, there's a lot of large companies there that it's nice to have them there. It's nice to maybe get a a promo that you wouldn't get normally or get a game that you know they're not too sure about, so you're kind of helping them with a pre-order, which is a little sketchy sometimes. But it's really that independent person that wants to create something and you want to support them. And I guess it's these situations where... Someone just fails straight out, that kind of you know it doesn't ruin you know the greater community, but it does kind of give it a black eye, and that's that's kind of sad because they're doing some great work out there. And speaking about great work, one of the people that we've actually got to meet and got to play a game about, um, we've got a chance to play Minion, which at the time of this recording, I think only has about a day or so left. So, when by the time you hear this, it'll be fully funded, and they actually surpassed their funding. Um, we actually got a chance to meet Daniel, and I think, and also Daniel, there was actually two Daniels, um, one who did the creation of the game, and one who was doing the art, and Minion was a great game, we're looking forward to that coming out, a bunch of really great guys, and like we were saying, supporting the independent game designer to get their work out there, because looks like a fun game, we got to play a little promo demo version of it, so congratulations to all of you guys, and that great work, and um, i can't wait to see it on the shelves so we'll have some better projects for you next time as far as the happy side of it but we'll always try to bring you the news as far as what's going on there what to keep an eye out for and what to kind of be wary about
0: yeah plenty to be wary about but also some gems in there too oh yeah all right so next up let's look at some of the games we have been playing and uh, a little some quick reviews so what's been hitting the
2: table anthony
0: At the table this week all right so this week uh, we're gonna start things off a little differently we've done this before we're gonna do it again because it is hitting the tablets because one of the biggest most successful and in my opinion funnest games to hit uh, the iPad in very recent memory is Hearthstone so Daniel and I have been playing this like nobody's business. Uh, I don't know how good either of us actually are, but we love it. So we're gonna talk. I think it's interesting because it is—it's an original game. It's digital. It's kind of there's been this trend toward these kind of digital collectible card games, but this is kind of the epitome, as Blizzard likes to do.
1: Yeah, it, it was very exciting to me to see how well Blizzard transitioned from their more tried and true methods to a an, an entirely different model of gameplay. Uh, And they were very good at recognizing, while we want to keep this intellectual property intact and we want to make it thematic, they were very good at making a game mechanic that felt unique and worked very well. Yeah, this
0: game is so deceptively simple, and yet so not simple at all. Like, I played it back in the beta on my computer, and it didn't really draw me in at the time. Um, I played, I don't know, however many... Maybe get to like level six in the practice matches or something. I don't remember. Like I didn't even unlock all the, all the different characters, but uh, it didn't really capture me because it is really simple. You start the game with X number of cards. You play a card. You draw a card. You play a card. You draw a card. It's just, you know, there's very few mechanics actually involved. Except there's so much depth to the game
1: once you start actually exploring what you can do. Yeah, I mean, there are entire communities and rival communities, all of which uh, are, are centered around these incredibly detailed accounts of how one ought to build your deck, given the current meta, which is the way that other people are playing right now. And if you're more than a few weeks behind in this sort of meta curve, you're out, right? You're just, you're playing the wrong deck for today.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's that magic meets the, if you ever played like PvP in World of Warcraft basically like that and then there's seasons in the game they're constantly adjusting and this is one of the interesting things though because it's digital so magic let's say you throw they throw an op card out there that card is in the game forever they printed it maybe it gets banned from tournaments but it's in there um this game they
1: can nerf the card you know S- speaking of wick unleash the hounds has moved from a Thank two cost God. to a three cost <laughs> card and everyone who doesn't play a hunter just breathe the sigh of relief yes i do not play a hunter i hate hunters <laughs> for those of you who are not familiar with this card it is a ridiculously powerful hunter card it's one of those cards that was in every single Hunter deck, no matter what the build of that deck was. And that's a good indication that a game element is overpowered, is that every build possible still uses that element. Yeah. Um, and it's a slight move, it's a small move, but it's going to make a big difference to a lot of the Hunter decks because they depend upon these sort of bursts, right? And early being bursts. Able to, early bursts, being able to play a lot of stuff at once, And this slows them down just long enough for other people to get a chance at the table. (laughs) Alright, so there are two major modes of Hearthstone play. There's Constructed, where you come in with decks that you've created beforehand from cards in your collection. And there's Arena, which is like a Magic the Gathering draft tournament, where you uh, make a deck out of cards that you just sort of pull from the ether after you buy an arena ticket, which you can buy with an in-game currency. And you can use out-of-game currency, but there's no need to really do that. The exciting thing about arena is that it's always a little bit random. You get to use cards that may not be in your deck or in your collection otherwise. and it pushes you to try new things and learn new strategies as well as if you make it up to seven wins you will absolutely make back your money and be able to play more as well as get some additional benefits like new packs for new cards in your collection the basic mechanics are going to be familiar to any of you who have ever played a card game right you draw a hand uh... if you go first you get a hand of three cards if you go second you get a hand of uh, four cards plus a coin which gives you one temporary mana Mana in this game works by giving you an increasing number of mana points to spend each turn. So on the first turn you have one point to spend, the second turn two, third turn three, capping at ten. Some cards, like the coin, will give you temporary mana which can either bring you over that limit or refill up some of the ones you've already spent. Uh, Cards in the game run anywhere from zero to twenty mana cost. uh, some of which are conditional upon field events, so the 20 mana cost is Molten Giants, and that one is going to cost one point less for every life point you have lost. Uh, both players have 30 life at the beginning of the game. The object of the game is to reduce the opponent to zero life. This is familiar, smash him in the face game but the strategy involved becomes very complicated, partially because the game is so simple at its core, right? The mechanics are simple, but everyone's talking about how to beat one another, and there are entire communities built around doing this, and they do so very efficiently, and if you are even a little bit late to uh, adjusting to the current meta, the way things currently are going in the game at large, you can be in serious trouble. At the very least, you're gonna hit a plateau. It's a very simple game to learn, very easy to pick up, and importantly, free to play. That's right, it's free. So you should probably take a look at it. Yeah,
0: yeah, this game is incredibly uh, addictive. That's probably the best word to use. Um, you do need an internet connection to play, so if you have an iPad without the uh, 4G connection, you know, you know, play it at home. Um, it's available on, I guess, iPad, Mac, and PC now.
1: Uh, I think so yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Blizzard is currently trying to encourage players to meet face to face and so they've started this fireside chat promotion where you can get a special card back for your cards by playing with other people on the same network. Oh cool. So there might be events uh, around that happening near you. So if you're interested in starting to play this game and getting to know other players, look for one of these fireside chats.
0: Awesome. Yeah. This is um it's kind of one of those cool games cuz you know we talk a lot a bit about Uh, board games transitioning to the tablet this is the other way around this is a game that's designed with the tabletop in mind but it's a game that couldn't really exist off the tablet they could print it it would be really hard to play printed just because of the way the mechanics work wouldn't look nearly as cool Um, Blizzard's put together something pretty cool here it's very unique and if you compare it to other collectible card games on the iPad this one is leaps and bounds ahead of all of them
1: Oh yeah, and I mean the the most uh, wonderful part about it for me, the thing that they're doing that's most unique is is this arena mode, because it's a graft style tournament essentially, where all the cards disappear at the end. But since they're not real cards, right? They can let you have anything, right? They just cycle through all the cards, and so every time it's a new, uh, every time it's a new set of grafted cards. Every time it's a new deck. Every time everyone else is playing a new deck, right? Uh, it's a very well-designed game and a very well-designed game mode that takes advantage of both the card game-based nature uh, of the game, right, and uh, also takes advantage of things that they can only do because it's virtual, right, because it's online.
0: Yeah. yeah. And if you know World of Warcraft and the Warcraft universe, you're going to love this because every card has that little bit of lore in there. All the characters from the game, which, I'll be honest, I don't really remember as many of these as I would have five years ago. But it's still pretty cool, because I do recognize a lot of the major characters, and some of the jokes in there, like Leroy
1: Jenkins, and you know, it's it's fun. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely know nothing about the World of Warcraft world. Um, the World of Warcraft probably could have stopped there. Anyway, I know absolutely nothing about the World of Warcraft, uh, but I enjoy the game straight through, I mean, and it's actually gotten me interested in certain parts of the lore, though uh, sometimes it's not been as, as deep as I'd been hoping. Um, and Point out, Chris is now playing this at the table.
2: I just downloaded it. Your review is excellent, and it looks like a lot of fun. So it has a nice, really fun graphical design to it. Looks pretty simple as far as you're just getting a couple of cards. You can play a minion. You can play an attack spell. And having played all the original Warcrafts, kind of coming up to the world of Warcraft, it's really great to see all the characters. I'm, I'm actually really enjoying that part of it because i'm a big fan of the whole series and i recognize all these characters so looking forward to playing it more
1: yeah Uh, one other thing that they did that's really creative uh is there's been a long known problem in any sort of online game if you allow people to talk they say mean things to one another no (laughs) i know what i know The internet, I thought, would only make us more responsible because what besides, you know, total anonymity, right, should make you, you know, a nicer person, right? Anyway, what they've decided to do is take away the free speech option, right? You can't say anything you want. But they have given you some basic emotes that let you communicate most things you need to say. Communism communism right (laughs) dictatorial communism but it works really well in this case yes it does you can communicate cleanly with one another um though people have still found out how to be jerks using their limited six-word vocabulary um
2: (laughs) never underestimate people's ability to troll as much as possible on a game that's virtual or based in cardboard
1: because I don't know. We're all trolls at heart. <laughs> because how dare you sit down to play a game with me. <laughs> all right, so Hearthstone. Hearthstone
0: is awesome. Uh, we're all playing it, so... Shh! I'm playing! <laughs> Let's get back to the cardboard end of this podcast, however, before we can't come back at all, which is Blizzard's master plan.
1: So are you, are you infer- uh, implying that there's some sort of Tron-like moment that's going to happen where we get pulled into Hearthstone? Just... That'd be kind of cool. I think it would be kind of cool. Yeah. Actually, Hearthstone, not so much, because all that world is, as far as I know, is a table
0: and oh, yeah. cards. Yeah, but I mean, the table <laughs> is in the world of Warcraft, so.
1: If there, you get off the table. <laughs> <laughs> I will be in a world where I will be killed immediately. Almost certainly. <laughs> all
0: right, so let's move on to uh, some board games we've been playing lately. Um, but Hearthstone, very good. All of us recommend it as a play. Uh, there's nothing to buy, so you don't have to buy. But if it was, it would be a buy. All right, so uh, next up, we played a game that I've had for a little while the other night. Um, all all of us sat down and we played Alhambra. And this is one of my favorite games. It's one of my wife's favorite games. We play it all the time. It's super simple, um, and it comes out relatively frequently because it's so easy to teach, and it's so easy to have a conversation over, and it's uh, so accessible and just not very combative in the way of a lot of games like that. Um, and it plays up to five, which is always nice, which in my collection is very rare. So, um, Basics of Alhambra, if you've not played Alhambra, is you're basically building a... Um, uh, you have a fountain and you're building your own little palace of sorts, so every round you're gonna have a certain number of cards in your hand and there's gonna be a tableau of uh, currency you can buy in one of four colors or there are going to be tiles you can buy using that currency. So if you can purchase a tile, and it's going to be color-coded and have a number on it, you can, if you purchase it with exact change, you get to take another turn. So let's say you buy the um, tile that's sitting on the green space for five, and it costs exactly five, then you can buy the tile sitting on the yellow for six, and then you can buy the tile sitting on the blue for seven. you can chain those together as much as you want until you clear the board so you could buy up to four tiles per turn and then at the very end you can pull cards up um, to replenish your currency stock and that is basically the entire mechanics of the game uh, you'll put these little tiles down around your fountain and try to build um, you're, you're trying to build the longest wall but you're also trying to get the most of certain colors of tiles but that's pretty much it and it's so it's kind of this tableau-building, solitaire-style game. The only real combativeness comes up is if you want to buy a tile and someone else grabs it before you. But even then, like another one's going to come out of the bag, which might fit exactly what you need. So it's very simple, it's very quick, it took a little less than an hour to play. Um, it's one of the fastest games to teach that I own, maybe five minutes at the most to show people how it works, and it's, it's one of those great games where you can just literally show them how it works in five minutes. So, I like it a lot, I'm really glad I bought it, Um, and you guys seem to like it as much, so (laughs) it was a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, it was a great time, Uh, it was a game I had seen before, Uh, I'd never played it before, uh, so I can attest that it really is a very quick game to learn, Um, but I had seen it before and it looked kind of boring to me from a distance, so I had been hesitant to play it even when you pulled it out, I was just like, oh, I don't know, I guess if there's nothing else to do. Uh, but I got into it very quickly, and even though I was totally destroyed, absolutely destroyed by every other player at the table, it was a great time, and so <laughs> I, uh, I highly suggest picking up Alhambra. That might actually make it onto a, a two purchase list for me. Oh,
2: nice. I remember playing this game for the first time a couple of weeks back, and it does have that deceptive, simplistic quality to it. You're just putting out a couple of tiles, there's a couple of cards there. And it doesn't seem like there's really much game to it. But what's really fun about the game is it has a nice feel to it that you're not really kind of getting bogged down with AP. You're just kind of picking up some cards. You're picking up some money. You're waiting for that one moment. I think the last game we played, when we played all played together, Anthony was just kind of collecting money. I'm like, oh, look, Anthony's collecting some money. That's interesting. He's not really building anything. And then I think one turn he basically picked up ...all four tiles and money. He just kind of changed everything together because he was paying the exact amount for, the, for all the tiles... ...and kind of ran away with victory at that point. And it's a lot of fun to see that kind of complexity in a real simple game... ...that you can have some sort of tactics and strategy to the game. And it's really nice and fun to actually build this little city up... ...and kind of connect all the walls and wait for that right piece to kind of pop up. And the game's colorful, it's light, it's fun... And it has that variability to it where you're not exactly sure when those kind of score markers are going to pop up in the game. So it plays a little different each time. You could ramp up and try to score everything quick or you can kind of wait to the end and score the more valuable colors. So a lot of different types of gameplay for this. I might actually pick this up at some point. I've looked at this. I know there's a uh, Manhattan version of this game. So Anthony has the Alhambra. Maybe I might pick up the Manhattan version. But maybe not because there's a lot of interesting expansions to this game as well that might be something that I might want to kind of jump into that doesn't come with the Manhattan version.
0: Yeah, there's a few options if you want to pick it up. Um, There's the base game, just the normal one that I have. There is the Manhattan version. There is a nice deluxe board version where they've put... Because the, the base version basically has... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to straight up say it, They're kind of ugly. Uh, ugly scoreboard, ugly tableau board where you put the tiles. Um, nothing pretty going on there. It's just very functional. There's a much prettier version that kind of incorporates everything. So the cards and the tiles are all on the board. And there's this nice score tracker along the outside of it. Um, and that's, you know, a slightly larger version. And then there's like the big box version that comes with the game and then all the expansions too. So, this being Queen Games, there are six different ways to buy this game if you want it. <laughs> um, probably the one you do want, you won't be able to find because, again, this is Queen Games. Uh, but
2: this is also Queen Games is really famous for their Kickstarters, which maybe you won't see the exact game you're looking for, but if it's one in their catalog, sometimes one of the Kickstarter levels to back actually has other, there are other games there too so you're like, hey, this game seems interesting what? I could basically get the whole collection if I drop X amount of dollars on it so, good game, good quality, the components are really nice I don't know, would you say that? You say you have to sleeve those cards? Nah Nah? Nah, they're not pretty And they don't really get played a lot, handled a lot Yeah, and it's not
0: like you little be able to mark them or anything, because they're just, there's four colors with a few different number possibilities on them, it's I don't know. It's so simple that I don't think you would ever need to sleeve them. And I think it would make it really hard to store it. It would be a mess. Plus, the deck kind of sits there, so if you had to stack it all, it would probably slide all over the place. Yeah. So And sleeves are expensive. So. Oh, God.
1: <laughs> so expensive.
0: Let's trigger Daniel's PTSD. <laughs> uh, Post-traumatic uh, sleeving disorder? <laughs> no. Nice. Nice. I didn't think that far ahead, but you got it. All right, so that's Alhambra. That's a fun game. Um, Yeah, I mean, I would recommend if probably any gaming store on the planet has a copy of this, probably open so you can try it. Honestly, it seems to hit every library I've seen. So if you're not sure, try it out. I'm sure a friend has it. It's one of those kind of classics we've talked about this game a little bit in the past but i never played it before and i always said that and i never had a chance to voice my opinion on the game so i finally got a chance to try dc deck builder um and i played the heroes unite edition which i'm sure is exactly the same as the base version it is (laughs) but uh it, it was basically everything you described it as and even a little simpler even it was a lot of fun i had a lot of fun playing this game um Nobody pulled all the rings, so that was good. But mm-hmm. the uh, <clears throat> the fellow we were playing with, Dan, almost did. He had two or three rings, and he had the Kyle Rayner card, too, right? He did. Yeah. So I was oh. just trying to end the game, like clean out those villains as quickly as I could.
1: That, that's, that's a nightmare situation of just, oh, God.
2: Yeah, and he knew it. He was going for it. It just happened that it was at the bottom of the deck, so I was like, it's going to come, it's going to come, and we just defeated all the supervillains before I got there and it was a nice time because we actually got to play this game and another one we're going to be talking about at the 20 side store in brooklyn new york
0: yeah yeah this is located in williamsburg so it's like 10 minutes from where i work um so if just get off work meet you know meet there after work it's a lot of fun they uh if you're in brooklyn or if you're in the area they actually hold a raffle on board game nights which i think is thursday Yes, when we were there Thursday. Mm-hmm. So you put in five bucks, and then towards the end of the night, they hand out twenty-five dollars, or probably depends on how many people put in
2: money. But they hand they handed out store credit to four people. So and we should also mention the unique connection as far as what was it that other table all the way in the back that was literally sleeving it had to be a oh my thousand God. magic cards. They had a they had this long what had to be a ten foot table yeah. set up with card boxes magic cards everywhere and just sleeving 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 and the funny thing was one of the guys had like a bandana over like most of his face so it kind of looked like he was <laughs> like he was cutting drugs or something in the back it was like don't go back there man they're just they're just doing some stuff you don't want to be there <laughs> yeah i think the new
0: set had just come out like that weekend before so they were probably just cracking a case but it was kind of hilarious to watch them break that down. <laughs> it's what you'd always imagine happens, because, you know, then all the singles show up online. Like, you know somebody's sitting in a dark room
1: somewhere cracking open cases of these cards. Um, watching it happen was kind of surreal. I saw that happen with Mage Knight back in the day, which Ooh. was particularly interesting, because, you know, they're full, like, figurines. Guy comes out with just this massive box full of Mage Knight and puts them down. Wow. And he got nothing.
0: Oh, no. It was it was brutal. That is brutal. Uh, I saw somebody crack a case of baseball cards once, and it was the same thing. Like he had gloves on, he had this whole thing set up, like it was like felt on the countertop.
1: So, there's preparation that goes. People are intense. Well, because
0: you pull something good, you don't want to like smudge it. (laughs) That's the whole point, right? Um, But yeah, that was pretty cool. DC deck builders. I mean, I'm considering picking up. Maybe not the DC deck builder,
2: but I do like it. But looking at the Street Fighter version... Or one of their other 300 different versions of the same exact mechanic?
1: Well, it's the same core mechanic, right? But they're really good at manipulating little bits of what the cards can do to give you a feeling of theme. Uh, And I think they're better at doing that than a lot of other companies are. I actually feel like Cryptozoic doesn't get the right amount of credit for how uh, talented they seem to be, at least to me, at adapting a basic, very simplistic mechanic to be thematic with... IPs of all different sorts.
2: Yeah, I really don't have any problem at all with the mechanic. I actually quite like it. I know there's been a lot of talk. We talked about this podcast earlier about the different superhero types of games and where does DC Deck Builder fit in. And Danley, you and I have talked about this a little bit that we feel and I won't speak for you, but you and I feel that the DC Deck Builder game really doesn't fit in as much as a superhero game. It's more of just kind of a simple deck-building type of game. And I know it's gotten a lot of play when you brought it out.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's... it's You know, there are superheroes in it, and I do think that the powers they develop are kind of thematic, right? The Flash draws cards. That makes sense to me, right? That's what the Flash should do. Um, but it isn't so much of, of a superhero game like, say, Sentinels, where this is my hero, and I will be this hero, right? It's it's much more of a, uh, just a simple deck builder. I, I always kind of think of it actually as like a comic with crossovers. That's how I think about the new characters coming up as, oh, and here's where the Flash comes to help Batman, who I'm playing, and <laughs> hits this guy in the face. Ha ha, thank you, Flash. Right.
2: Yeah, I mean, this, it isn't as thematic as far as the mechanic is concerned, but the cards, and we talked about this a little bit before. The cards really do have a lot of flavor to them. I recently picked up the Lord of the Rings deck-building game. Haven't got a chance to break that out yet, but it's the same thing. You have these villains, so you kind of have the, the separate deck, and you have these cards that you're going to be choosing from. But I got to be honest. I know this is kind of like a little bit of the junk food type of as far as board gaming is concerned. Whereas an Agricola is like a meal, and this is just kind of like wow, this is really tasty kind of thing, I like playing them. I hate to say it, but I really do like playing them, and I, and I like the fact that you get all the flavors. We talked about Naruto coming out, Street Fighter just came out. There's also an expansion coming out for this as well, which is the Crisis expansion, Pack 1. So anytime you hear Pack 1, there's going to be multiple packs. So this is the, the new 52, and it's actually going to let you play co-op. So, like you were saying, Daniel, Cryptozoic is really looking at different ways to use this basic mechanic, and I'm really happy
1: to see this. Yeah, I I feel like people are too quick to write off Cryptozoic as just uh, copy and pasting, right? That is just using the same mechanic over and over again. And it's, you know, it's the same core mechanic, but you could say that about every single D20 role-playing game. What matters is how much attention you pay to fitting the the fringes of the mechanic right fitting the way that the cards actually end up playing to theme and to interesting innovative play and when we played heroes unite it felt different to me than the core game right not entirely and i could see how i could mix them together if i wanted to but right there were new mechanics there were new card interactions and you know i think they're much more creative than people give them credit for
0: yeah, it's a good game. I had a lot of fun and I avoided this game for a long time because it just looked too simple. But like Chris said, it's it's like junk food, man. It's
2: really good junk food and I like the fact that there's so many different flavors to it, so you can actually get what it is that you're looking for as far as that's concerned. And the artwork is pretty good. So whether you're getting actually screenshots like you are with Lord of the Rings, or you're getting actual artwork from the D C deck building or the Naruto or the Street Fighter, there's something for everybody to play. Awesome.
0: Also, at the 20-sided store, we played another game. Um, This one is by Stefan Feld. And in the last year or so, we've played a lot of Stefan Feld because he released so many games in the last year. But this one's one of his uh, earlier games. And it's called In the Year of the Dragon. Um, It's, as you might imagine, um, a Chinese theme uh, historically. And the goal of the game, basically, and here's the theme as it was set up for us. You are trying to build a palace. In ancient China and you're trying to please the Emperor and somehow we already know in advance what 12 calamities are gonna hit us over the course of a year so um, basically in the beginning of the game it's gonna lay out these 12 tiles that are gonna show you um, nine various events that are gonna occur the first two months are basically gonna be safe so everybody has a chance to build up whatever they need to build up but then the rest of the year um things like droughts um armies coming to town uh fireworks festivals which are admittedly not a bad thing but you still have to build resources for it um tax collection there's all these different things you have to be prepared for because in almost every single case if you're not prepared people die so it's and basically what you'll be doing is you'll be recruiting people to your palaces you'll be building out your palaces in between these events um So it's a bit of a worker placement each round people you're going to put something down on one of these various action spaces based on who goes first um, and that'll change throughout the game based on the influence you have and then that'll allow you to take a certain action those actions involve things like um, taking rice if you have farmers uh, getting coins if you have tax collectors um, getting fireworks if you have the fireworks guy whatever he was uh, building onto your palaces and then basically you have to be able to feed everybody in your palace at a certain point. You have to be able to um, keep people alive if there is a sickness, which if requires you to have healers. So it's a lot of balancing to make sure you have the resources you need when you need them. But at the same time, sometimes there are acceptable losses. Um, if you know that, say for example, because you know it in what order these bad things are going to happen... Uh, Both of the Pestilences have already passed. So you come up to the point where you need to have food because there's a drought. And you could go for more food, but you see that you already have two food, and you only need two more, and you have two healers who you don't need anymore because the Pestilence is already over. You can just let them die. Um, that's That's a lot of the strategy that comes into the game because you... While you do want to be prepared for everything, you can't be prepared for everything and still stand a chance in this game, you won't score any points. Um, so it has that Stefan Feld feel to it. I don't think it's nearly as tightly made as his newest games. Um, I'll be honest, I didn't really have a lot of fun with this game. It's I can see why people like it, I can see why this particular copy had been played like a thousand times, but I personally did not have fun. <laughs> It it gave me that Agricola feel, where it felt like everything I was doing was to keep from losing something. Um, I don't know. I don't like playing board games that remind me of real life. (laughs) (laughs) Like loss loss avoidance is not my idea of fun,
2: but I could see why people have fun there. I don't know. I mean, Chris, what did you think? It's definitely a Stefan Feld game. And if, even if you didn't see the box itself, you score a lot of points for doing a lot of different things. There's a lot of choices as far as who am I going to put in my buildings, which actions am I going to play, and trying to think short-term and long-term. So the components were nice. They were your standard kind of chits that kind of... are decent quality, and the artwork was not bad. And our friend there at the 20-Side Die was nice enough to bring this out for us and obviously this game has gotten a lot of play and I don't know it definitely has a good place as far as you're getting a random kind of selections of tragedies and things you have to kind of anticipate so it does have some sort of replayability to it and it's nice to see a game not placed in Europe for once so it was nice to see something a little bit different I don't know if the game has the complexity of his other games and it and if it does have the stain power now obviously this game has come in a lot of times so maybe it does have the replayability for it and it's definitely a Feld so if you like Stefan Feld this is just another one of his same games I think his mechanics have been better utilized in other games so while I would personally play this a game it's not a buy for me this would definitely be a play especially if it's kind of an introductory type of game. For example, like when I played, I was I think I was leading on the influence track the entire game, and while that's not necessary for a victory condition, it, it does allow me to do certain things like I get to pick and not have to pay gold to use somebody who's already been in, in play before, but it's one of those games where the guy we're playing with kind of understood that, and kind of was way back in, as far as popularity was concerned, and kind of pulled out a major victory. So I'm wondering if there aren't some just key paths to victory that can't kind of be over overcome with different strategies or different tactics. So I'm looking forward to playing this again, but there's better Stefan Feld games out there. So
0: um,
2: Yeah, it's a dodge. This is not...
0: I don't know. It feels like... You know how Dominion, when it first came out, was probably... Amazing, everybody was all over it, and now you're like, Why would you ever want to play Dominion when you could play any of these other games? <laughs> this is how I felt about this game. It's like, Sure, maybe when it came out, I was like, Oh, look, Point Salad, that's a new thing. Uh, but like every other Stefan Field game I've played is better. I don't know why I would ever want to play this game again. It's not, I don't know, I did not have a very good time, and it was long, it was like two hours, two and a half hours. It was really long. Mm.
2: And some of the some of the tactics, as far as if you've already dealt with the famine already, and everyone has farmers, everyone's going to do something to get discard their farmers. They're useless. So I think, like I said earlier, I think at a certain point there's a strategy in this game based upon how things kind of lay out. And I don't think there's much deviation from it. I think we were all kind of doing the same thing at certain points. I think some people kind of got a little wise to the to the the scale as far as what to do first and what to do second. But I think it's more math than art. You know what I'm saying about that? As far as, like, this is what you do, you get enough for this, and you knock off these characters, you pick up these characters, you knock them off, and you need X amount of gold to do this. So it wasn't really a lot of it didn't have a lot of luck. Or, and I know Stefan Feld's games usually don't have that major luck component, but it didn't have that variability as far as yeah. the different players' tactics.
0: Yeah, also it's not fun.
2: <laughs> it's got that going. <laughs> well, that too.
0: It's <laughs> just a grind, man. It was a grind, and the board's not very pretty. I no. could go on.
2: No, I, 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 This was a miserable experience. No, I, I would agree. I mean, it, it definitely does have those challenges. I think more of the challenge for me was... The way the calendar was laid out with the events that were upcoming, it seemed like there was a mathematical type of formula to play out, that if you if you understood what to buy and what to play when, that was all you needed to know. There really wasn't gameplay as far as, I'll do this and I'll do that, depending on this, that or the other. You know, it was laid out this way, so you must do this. You must pick him up now, you must drop him later, then you must pick him up then. So. It yeah. didn't have that variability as far as Amerigo. It didn't have the challenge of when to play the characters in Bruges or to build the houses. So it was kind of like it was laid out there. You played it and then you walked away. Yep. Yep. Basically. <laughs> so DC deck builder was good though. Yeah. That, was, that was a good part of the night. I like that. What do you think, Daniel? After us, our rousing endorsement for in the Year of the Dragon.
1: Uh, Well, I was. I'm less (laughs) upset about not being able to join you guys
0: now. Like, this is true. Although if you'd been there, we wouldn't have been able to play it because we would have had too many people.
1: Oh, it's all my fault. See, but it's always it's always
0: good to play. And I just realized that, so now I'm mad at you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh
1: God! What have I done? What have you done?
0: No, it's always good to get that uh, experience, I guess. But nah, dodge it. No reason to try this one. Get Amerigo. Better game. Or Bruges. Or Bruges. Eh, you're not a fan of Bruges. I like Amerigo better.
2: Okay. Yeah. Bruges. <laughs>
0: Bruges. Have you played any stuff on Fell Games? I'm not sure. Okay. Have you played Bruges or Amerigo? No. Trajan? No. Mm, Castles of Burgundy? No. Oh, so we got to get one of these. Bora alfabetics. Bora. No. <laughs> we gotta get at least one <laughs> so you have some context so I know basi- who the
1: hell Feld is Yeah. except for this guy that everyone keeps saying you know Stefan Feld uh-huh. yeah! <laughs> yeah totally man no man, man. he's, he's I play board games <laughs> I, I game with the board yeah
0: we'll play Bruges cause it's all of his games have the same basic idea so you'll get the idea alright so that's everything we played this week next up is our big feature review of Myth And now for the feature review.
1: Some have doubted its existence. Others have held on to the belief that it has persisted through all time, but all agree that it is a myth.
0: Our feature review this week is Myth. The board game. This is one of the games that I circled around at least a half a dozen, dozen, maybe two dozen times at PAX. It is basically um, a dungeon crawler. So there, you're gonna get a bunch of minis out of the box, a bunch of chits. Uh, it's a modular board with various bits of dungeon tiles and different sizes, ranging from twelve by twelve to six by four to four by four. Um, that's all the nitty gritty of you know the things that come to help you set it up. The actual game itself, when you boil it all down and ignore all the rules, uh, is basically you are heroes. There are five of them, you can choose. Everybody picks one, they're all your archetypes from Dungeons and Dragons lore. Um, everybody's gonna pick one. You have your archer, you have your acolyte, you have, which basically you have, you know, your ranger, your thief, your monk, your warrior, the uh, the mage. And each of these characters has something unique. They each have their own deck of cards that you're gonna be drawing from, and that's where all your abilities are gonna come from. Um, And every round you're going to move and you're going to attack and then you're going to attack the darkness, which Daniel thought was awesome.
1: Yes, I've been wanting to do that my entire life (laughs) and I finally got to actually attack the darkness.
0: So the darkness is basically all the enemies in this game. The theme of it being that this darkness has descended upon the world and is taking over creatures and humans and various, you know, baddies of different sizes and disgustingness. Um... They are guarding treasure, they are blocking paths, they are poisoning, they are attacking. And you're going to go in, you're going to destroy them, and you're going to complete various quests. Um, The game is extremely freeform. There are quests. You're going to draw, you know, you can play the story quests, which have a story with multiple acts in it. Or there are chapter quests, which basically mean you just get to pick one um, and play that chapter, which is just a short session you can play. So if you play the longer story version, there are a few story modes in here, and you can play. They're about two hours each, and it's probably you know a good 20 in there total. So you could get 30, 40 hours of gameplay out of this just playing the normal campaign out of the box. But what makes the game really unique is kind of that freeform nature. You basically get to decide in a lot of cases how many enemies you're going to face, where they're going to be on the board, um, how many treasures you're going to go after, what size tile you're on, where the layers go. There are some restrictions, it'll tell you, there's you know lines on the board where you could put the lair, there are a certain number of enemies you have to have, there are maximum number of enemies you can have, but there are lots of different things you get to decide as a group. And because the game is a full cooperative dungeon crawler, there's no, you know it's not like Descent, where there's a, somebody, an Overlord that you're trying to defeat, you're not playing against anybody. It really is a group decision, you can decide, hey, we want to get some more gear, let's throw a ton of enemies out there and you know grind them a little bit. Or, we just want to get through this chapter, let's make it as easy as possible so we can get to the next bit of the story. That is a really unique part of the game. I thought that was pretty cool. I think if you play it right, it could be a lot of fun. Um, the game itself has a ton of mechanics involved if you want to dig into all of them. We did not in our initial playthroughs. We played it pretty simple. Um, but in terms of you know, items you can pick up, there's merchants you can meet and buy items from, you can sell items to get currency. Um, You know, playing through the entire game, every bit is involved, it almost feels a little bit like Diablo on a board game, just hack and slash grinding, and you're building your own story, basically. You're not actually, you can decide where you go, you can decide how many enemies you hit, you can change the difficulty level at any point, and go in and just take on innumerable ungodly enemies who are just going to bash your face in <laughs> repeatedly until you get that one piece of epic loot um and that's kind of what draws drop draw me drew me to the game and draws so many other people to the game unfortunately and this is where everybody can jump in if you want this game has one of the worst rule books you're ever going to see this rule book is i don't i don't i mean i read it i'm not entirely sure i understood it but this is one of those games where read through the rulebook once, immediately went to watch a couple videos, went back to the rulebook again to clarify, still wasn't 100% sure what we were doing, and then kind of free-formed it the rest of the way. So we might have played 70% of the rules. Um, so this is not going to be like your full definitive review of this game, if only because I don't feel like we've got the full feel and flavor of the game. Um, and But the reason we're talking about it is I think that's probably a very common experience coming right out of the box just based on the way the rules are written this book is 60 plus pages um there are mechanics that are mentioned not clearly detailed there are references that don't quite make sense there are uh scenarios that are written in a way that doesn't quite follow through i'm sure if you read this book very carefully two or three times you probably figure it out but nobody wants to do that so part of it comes down to the um the free-form nature of the game. Like, the book is trying to give you the freedom to do these things in the way you want to do them, but it doesn't... It still needs more structure.
2: The thing about myth, and a lot of games like myth, and we talked about a, meeting a designer who was doing another dungeon crawl type of game where you were kind of playing that RPG type of element to it, which this game kind of invokes kind of your Dungeons & Dragons 4th edition as far as there is a story to it and the story kind of matters but the story is just there to deliver the action which is a lot of hack and slash as anthony was saying the brilliance of this game is it the components right the miniatures are great the board's great the cards are great the artwork is nice the graphic design has a good quality to it thought that the text was a little small but in general this game is here for you to create an almost unlimited number of different stories, games, universes, complex scenarios. It's kind of like a box of fun. So here's a box of fun. Great. You know what comes with a box of fun? A rule book that cannot explain the box of fun because nothing can explain the box of fun because the box of fun is an unlimited box of fun. At the same time, if we look at this as a pure board game game, it doesn't meet the quality of some of the other games out there just because it's trying to be a box of fun. You know, it's trying to be this sandbox video game version where, hey, you can do anything you want. Awesome. But I just want to play a game. Yeah, but you can do all these things and it's got these components and you can throw all these guys... Uh, yeah, but I want to play a game. Sure, but you can have these miniatures and it's got the big miniatures and you can... All right, but I just want to play the game. So... It's not a bad thing. The brilliance to the game as far as being a box of fun is awesome. The downplay to it is you do kind of get you get you hit a kind of a swap as far as what is what is the creation you're looking to play. Now, I'm sure this is one of these games where once you've mastered the box of fun, you can really put down a great scenario with nice twists and characters and creations and Epic loot, because I really liked that part of it that we were kind of upgrading our character as time was going on. But, I don't know. I mean, if you really want the RPG kind of flavor to it, you should probably go ahead and play Dungeons & Dragons. Maybe, I mean, this is more of a 4.0, but maybe a 3.5 is maybe more of the story mode to it. Or if you really want the more of the really kind of straightforward board game kind of version... Maybe Castle Ravenloft in the Dungeon Dragon series or Legend of Dritz. That might be a little more straightforward as you put the tiles out and it really has a straight rail kind of play to it. But then again, at the same time, you kind of go back and forth because the components are such high quality. The design is great. The box is awesome. It has so much goodness to it that I'm wondering how many of hours of gameplay would take for you to kind of reach a level where you were like... I get it now.
1: Yep. Uh, for me, it hits an uncomfortable medium between role-playing games and board games. It's... Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure it's a thing I, I want anymore. I thought it was... So, I always thought it was something I want. I played some of the Dritz games. They were pretty good, but that's because they went strong board game, pretty much cut the role-playing out. If I wanted to pin a game that would be, to me, Myth's closest competitor, actually, this might be a little odd, but it's going to be Betrayal at the House on the Hill. The modular tile, tile layout, though I think Betrayal handles that more interestingly, but the idea of you pick up these equip, pieces of equipment as you go around, there's this sort of narrative that emerges, or at least there can be, if you're playing Betrayal right. I don't know why I'm pointing accusingly at a microphone, because you can't <laughs> see that, now can you? Imagine, though, that I am pointing at you. And the fourth wall comes down. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, if you want to play a role-playing game, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of wonderful systems. If you want to play a rules-light role-playing game, let me suggest anything based off Apocalypse World, including Dungeon World and Dungeon Planet, which will give you the same sort of feel you're looking for. Um, And you know, Pathfinder from D&D, of course, would be great. Uh, I'm just having trouble finding a place in my heart that isn't already full, that myth wants to, to live, right? And it's a pretty pricey game. Um, 80 bucks. 80 bucks. It, it's a beautiful. Right? The components are beautiful. And I see what they're trying to do. Uh, and I'm definitely going to give it a couple more shots before I'm willing to stick with my discomfort here because, you know, a, as we were saying earlier, we did not play all the rules. And we played a really short session. And I get the feeling that what this is better at is at longer campaigns it kind of makes me feel like in its ideal form, it'd almost be like gauntlet the board game. I think that's what they're going for. Yeah.
0: It's, I, I feel the same mild discomfort as you. Um, not quite as uncomfortable. I like the idea of like a roll, like a board game where people can role play. And I think you kind of almost, they didn't write it like that. There is lots of flavor text in the story chains. There's a lot of, um, act cards and story cards for the quests. Um, there's a lot of flavor to each of the characters. They're very, very different. Each of the characters is very different because each has their own deck of cards. But I think because of the freeform nature of the game, if someone does not take over and tell a story here, it could devolve quickly into just that typical co op of everybody's APing the game together, because it is a co op and you all go together and you all decide what you're gonna do in that order. Um and then it just turns into a crunch fest, and that's not what the game's supposed to be. So I think the way the game is built requires that DM type of role from somebody that the game doesn't really quite integrate fully, um, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, it's not built with that in mind, but it needs to be there to make the game more fun. At least that's how my impression of it.
1: And, and this is, I think, probably the biggest place where it diverges from board games in general to me is... This is a game where even if you're doing all the rules right, you can still play it wrong, right? You can still play it in a way that's not really capturing the essence of what it's trying to be. And that's where I think you start seeing the role-playing game aspect, right? If you just play a role-playing game and all you're doing is playing the rules, it's probably not going to be that fun. Um, And so I do think there's a, a fair portion of my discomfort here. I'm starting to backpedal because I think, well, maybe it really was that I didn't, you know give myself over to myth right maybe i didn't really commit to the sort of elaborate campaign with role-playing and back and forth and becoming attached to characters that maybe myth is trying to help me do yeah
0: yeah that's that's kind of the feeling i have i still want to play it i had fun um i'm glad i picked it up i you know i'm a you know i buy these mini games i want to paint them I've already washed some. I'm gonna prime them. I'm gonna paint them. They're beautiful miniatures for a board game, uh, slightly above normal board game quality, far above a lot of other board games I have. They're not quite miniature quality, like say something like, you know, the, the pewter minis or even you know like Bones level, but they're really good. So that's a big plus. Some of them are huge. They already have a few expansions out too with other Darkness decks, which basically means other bosses you can fight, and that's awesome. Um, And I know they have a bunch more coming out, and I believe they're working on a second Kickstarter for the fall, which will be like Wave 2. So just another set. So if this keeps going and they keep building on it, it could end up being this ongoing scenario-heavy type of, you know, almost... I'm not going to say open world because it's a very closed world, but this open system of sorts the thing that i think they need to do and this again it's a freeform game i would even be happy playing the way we played it you know missing some of the item rules and some of the uh, you know the merchant aspect or even the story quest aspect which we just didn't quite get to um but they need to have something like say you picked up this game or you have some friends coming over you just want to do a quick start of the game where do we start which quest do we start with Some kind of starting quest, because even the most crunchy video games in the world have, like, a tutorial. And then a quick start that shows you all the mechanics of the game. Even tells you what your options are. The book does not have that. It walks you through the cycles of the game. It shows you how every mechanic works. Everything is in here. It just does not put it in an order or a layout that makes it feasible to actually sit down, pick up the game, and run through it. We were constantly referencing this book, despite the fact I'd read it a couple times and watched a video. Um, I think that's a big problem. And it is a board game, so it's not a role-playing game where you should be doing that. Um, I don't want to feel like a DM DMing a game. It's a board game. So that, that to me, is the biggest weakness of this game after initial playthrough. It's
2: not going to stop me from playing it, but it's definitely an issue if... And this is what happens with this type of game, like I said. It's one of those kind of transition kind of, you know, kind of reaching over the aisle a little bit. So it has that RPG element, has that board game element. It wins at both and and at the same time loses at both. So I think this is one of these games that you need to approach not as a board gamer, but as almost like as Anthony was saying, like as a DM. Like I need to invest time and effort to create scenarios, look at all the pieces, the components, and try to craft a game for those people that are coming to play based on their skill level based upon the time that we have to play because even the initial scenario was kind of fun and i can see the genius to the game as far as all that you can do with it as especially leveling up your characters because even getting the special equipment was really nice and being able to roll the dice based upon the special equipment was nice without having to have that complexity of well the armor class is this And I have this type of modifier, and the creature has this modifier, and I gotta carry the four, and I get to roll a d4, and a it's just, sometimes it's a little too much. So, if you approach this as far as, I don't know, almost like a campaign, like I really gotta kind of delve into this, and as Anthony was saying, there are so many future components coming out for this, and the miniatures are just outstanding, that this could be the centerpiece of your game collection, As far as, hey, I'm the myth guy, I'm going to bring this game, and we're going to have an epic night of adventure. But it's definitely not going to be, hey, let's play myth amongst the other board games that we have to play this night. Yeah, there'll be myth night. There'll be myth night. Yeah, you can't bring this
0: to the game store and be like, oh, what do you want to play? Let's play myth, because it's... No. (laughs) I mean, they say each story quest takes about an hour, or two hours. Uh, But the setup, and then if you have new players,
2: you're looking at three, so... I would say this game, as far as the spectrum, it's definitely more of an RPG as than is Castle Ravenloft and Dritz. More of an RPG as far as Descent. It has more of that kind of open world kind of feel to it. So if you played Descent and Descent 2, obviously, and if you played the other ones and you're looking for something more with that R- RPG D&D element to it, I think myth is definitely the way to go for you.
1: I think I'm gonna to want to see more of how it plays out uh, when we put more into it, and I'm gonna to want to see how these expansions come out because that's gonna be a big decider for me about its overall value in 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 my game collection, uh, and and how much effort I'm willing to invest learning that rather large rule book.
0: Yeah, you don't want to read this. Yeah, <laughs> there's no reason to read this. <laughs> uh. Uh, yeah, so we're not going to throw a score at this because it's not—we haven't played it enough. But what I would like to do um, is, over the course of the next few weeks, we'll maybe get it back to the table. We'll play it again. Maybe start one of these story quests and see how it goes. That'd be a lot of fun. Multiple That'd phase, fun. yeah. And then we'll we'll do a write-up of it, or we'll even come back to the podcast and do like a second take. Um, because I don't think we can do it justice just saying, "Oh, this is our first impression, and this is what we think." Um, the rulebook thing that we can say that definitively because it is an issue if you look on board game geek we're not the only people complaining about this but the game itself there's a lot here and i want to explore it and have more fun with it so and i'm also going to be painting the miniatures a little bit so i'll I'll try to post some pictures of that so you can see what these things look like because they're awesome
2: all right so that was our feature review for myth yes Alright guys, so that's everything
0: for this episode of the f- inaugural Dice Tower Network edition of Board Gamers Anonymous uh, Do not forget, you can follow us on Twitter at BGA Podcast You can find us on Facebook at uh, facebook.com boardgamersanonymous. We have our very own website where you'll find all of our past episodes and show notes and soon to be uh, multiple articles when we start writing a lot of new content and posting pictures of what we're playing, what we're painting, what we're doing as gamers, that's boardgamersanonymous. dot com, and then you have to check out our Boardgamers Anonymous Guild on Board Game Geek. So that is everything for this week. This is Anthony. This is Chris.
1: And this is
2: Daniel. And until next time, we'll save you a seat at the table. All right. So I'm not reading this rulebook again. volunteer? I'll take a
0: look at anybody, it.
1: Anybody? 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 <laughs> <laughs> Kind of fun. So I have a weird habit of collecting uh, eccentric role-playing game rulebooks. I don't know if you guys are oh, really? interested in doing casts of, like, I've got one Delirium, with is fairies in the modern world. I've got one, which is Feng Shui, which is really got an interesting world the bizarre mechanics. Oh. Hey, i got an idea.